welcome to Man of the World. Singular. Singular. Not single man, but just singular man. Uh, human, but actually more than human, more specifically men. But if you're a woman, listen on, as long as you have a man accompanying you. Um, that's a joke. Please don't write in. So, Man of the World. Or write man, in, please. <laughs> where we look at... Um, we look at masculinity, watches, and everything around that. So I wanted to have a look today at a brand which has caught my eye. And uh, again, we're not sponsored by anyone, so this is all free. And if I mispronounce your brand, sue me. But oh, it, before we do that, yeah. Oh, Nick, what are you wearing today on your wrist? Good question. Good question. Um, this is a Seiko Sportura, which um, over lunch today with Mum, I showed it to her, and she said that's very complicated and. She meant not, it has numerous complications, which it does. She, well, it's a flight watch, isn't it? It is a flight watch. In fact, I didn't know that um, for some time until, and I don't know how I didn't notice this, but um, if you look at the seconds hand, which is used for the um, stopwatch, the chronometer, uh, it actually has quite literally a, um, a plane on it. Ah! Yeah, so it, it looks like it's just a uh, an arrow, but the, it's kind of got two arrowheads and it's a, it's a plane. And it has a compass bezel? It does, which has a, um, a, a ridiculously huge amount of information on it, slide rules, etc., etc. So et you can judge the fuel you've used? As opposed to um, that great scene in Dunkirk with, um, oh, yes. you know, the man, Tom Hardy, when he's flying along and he's, he's doing the maths on how much fuel he has left and he gets a piece of chalk and writes it on the dashboard, yeah. which was... Cool as hell, but um. But that watch had a bezel, the Weems bezel, didn't it? The that Weems bezel. In fact, that watch I think bezel. was owned by Christopher Nolan. Literally, his watch, and it's the watch that Hans Zimmer uses to get the TikTok yeah. sound, which he then embeds into the uh, music as the the motif. Which is so suspenseful. It worked so well. I know it kind of ratchets up the uh, the the tension. But anyway, so complicated watch. It has both the um. Uh, three sub-dials, you know, it's got a date, but the dials, the, the first one is just the seconds, um, you know, just to tell the seconds. Next one is an alarm, which to be perfectly honest, I've never been able to work out mm. how to use, and I even went to YouTube to check it out, but um, I'm not particularly intelligent, so what are you going to do? Oh, uh, and the third one is um, the chronometer, and that goes for 60 minutes, as opposed to often the traditional 30 or 45, oh, so I was pretty happy useful, with that. Yeah. What about yourself? Uh, I, I just wanted to ask that shade mm. of green on the watch. Is that X Files green? Is that <laughs> at that time? That oh, or um, well, it's interesting. I bought this in Chatswood, Sydney, Australia, on spec. I had no intention of buying it, but it was. Um, I think it was about two thousand and eight. Uh, had a, a gig which was paying me good money, not outrageous money, but good, and I had some cash in the bank. And it was a watch I'd seen. I didn't. I'd seen it online once, and it was about mm. 900 bucks, and it kind of lodged in my brain, but then I hadn't seen it for about a year. And then I um, was wandering through Chatswood, and this watch was sitting there, um, half price, Whoa. 450 bucks, walked in, bought it instantly, which yeah. I don't do because I tend to overthink stuff. Um, which at that time in your collection history, or collecting history, mm. that would have been an expensive uh, outlay. Yeah, I would have thought. Yeah, it was. I know for me, I would have thought at that time. Now, well, oh, all bets are off now. Yeah. But still, Seiko, they will kill it at all levels, at all price segments. That's true. I mean, uh, yeah, as I said, like you know, kind of retails at the time for about nine hundred bucks. Their their most expensive watch, their um, 
no, and I'm not even talking their premium watch, which of course is the Grand Seiko, but their super hyper premium, which is called the Creedor. The Creedor, the their number one latest version of the Creedor, um, tops out at fifty two thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> with the porcelain dial and platinum innards no doubt or something oh, it's, it's it's funny it's it's like the whole um it's not what you put into a watch it's what you take out and they've they've done the most hardcore minimalistic thing so when you look at it it's almost yeah it has to have nothing's a in it. look if it even has a second hand it might just be i don't think it does it's exquisitely yeah, beautiful two-hander it's, it's minimalism taken almost to the nth degree so oh. Well, what's that expression um, by Albert Einstein said, that, you know, the ultimate goal is to make things as simple as they can be, but no more simple. Ah, yes. So. Well, I'm, I'm wearing the first luxury, true luxury watch outlay I ever made. My Tudor Prince Oyster date from 1994, the 34 millimetre. Uh, well, it's a sort of dress sports watch but you'd call it a dress watch. Uh, the first watch I bought where I was embarrassed to tell people what I spent on it. Where <laughs> you spent how much? And, and, and you've moved past that, so how much did you spend? Uh, I think it was about just over $2,000 hmm. pre-owned at the time. And so is that steel, is that platinum, is that? Oh, it's just a, a stainless steel. Uh, it is, It is of, of in terms of Tudor collectability at the the bottom of the the rung it is there not even date just equivalent i i suppose it'd be the rolex date their 34 millimeter sort of watch that is now vintage collectible it uh, is when you think tudor do you think um like how would you describe it in relation to uh, rolex well I, I, rolex's reputation founded on practicality but i and i think it was Hans Wilmsdorf, his aim with Tudor was to make it of the same quality but better, more affordable for the everyman in the street. Mm. Uh, which at that time I subscribed to that. Uh, and that, I mean, if you look at the the crown, it's it's a Rolex badge crown. The, the case on the back is the cases by Rolex. All of the, the steel bits are Rolex. It's just the innards. Mm. It's an ETA movement, so hmm. half the price to service. Uh, so that, that's where it, what it, and very reliable. So. And, and do you think of um, like do you think of Tudor as like you know sister brand, baby brother? Yeah, uh, in I think parallel. Back at the era of this watch, it's the baby brother. It's the uh, utilizing all of the. All of the reputation the older brother had forged, or the father, it could be more of the bastard son. (laughs) Well, it's it's funny because like... But now they've come into their own, haven't they? It's interesting. It's like if you you define as the baby brother, often, you know, like the older brother is, they've forged the ground, they're called, they've got it all together. But, you know, we're recording this just after the um, marriage of... You know Prince Harry oh, and um, Megan. Megan, and I thought that's kind of interesting because you look at him and it's all care, no responsibility. Like he, he's the younger one, and you know, first-born children tend to be a little more serious, a little more responsible. Mm. The the younger one tends to be a little more playful and fun, 
I had to ask permission to be married with a beard. Ah. Yeah, had to ask the Queen's permission not to shave that for, the, for is, the occasion. That's hilarious. And she said, oh, I couldn't care less. Do what you want. That's, is that a, that's a paraphrase. <laughs> she said, get, get amongst it, Harry. But the reason I mention it is because he's, you know, all care, no responsibility. He's the younger one. He's the funkier one. He's the cooler one. And then he can really do whatever he wants. And he kind of has, like he's... Badass kind of you know SAS military boy. He's kind of party boy when he goes to Vegas and gets his gear out. He's marrying a divorcee American, you know African American ish. You'd have a- to argue actress. The, the responsibility falls more on her part than it does his. He's, yeah, he's born to the to the manor born. Yeah, it's to the manor born and and, and knows and, all the rituals and and where's where's that eats, eats with the right fork and. Yeah, that sort of thing. And it's, she... it's, it's relaxed with it that you kind of only get with a, a certain level of class and and style. It's, mm. I've always found moving in certain circles that it's the it's the nouveau riche who are concerned about which you know how to eat things, and the actual super rich, the ones who are born into it, you know, old money. They're the ones who are just like, oh, pfft, get amongst it. Don't <laughs> they, worry about it. They wear the G shock. Yeah, <laughs> to stay. What, what, what's that? Um, crazy luxury new G-Shock, the silver one. Oh, yeah. That's kind of badass. I like yeah, that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that's where we're at. Well, I, I thought this episode would just have a bit of a chat about stuff in the watch world that surprises us, mm. and then we might kind of go off on some tangents about what surprises us in general about masculinity Royalty today. and, and um, Harry's beard. Harry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry's Beard sounds like a name for a, uh, a novel. That quick, jot that down, Harry's Beard. But I was going to say, um, anyway, so there's this brand that's been popping up uh, in, my, um, uh, in my Instagram and a few different accounts that I follow. And I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but go with me on this. It's spelled L-O-R-I-E-R, and it's a Laurier, I think, is because I saw it in brackets, you know, you pronounce it Laurier. But Laurier make this... Fantastic looking watch. I think it's an absolute winner. It's a what I would call a um, a classy tool watch. Mm. And it's two hundred meters water resistant. Um, metal looks kind of rock and roll. Um, it's a not a homage watch, but it has elements of about three or four different types of watches. I've read a, an article which was you know mentioning the hands look like a mega, and that kind of blew my mind. And then when Neil had a look at it, it's like, oh, blanc pas. But mm. um, it's a fascinating watch. But here's the kicker. When I had a look up who makes it, two things shocked me. Firstly, it was made in the US, which blew my mind because it just felt European. I, I just assumed it would be uh, Swiss or perhaps English like Farrier. But I just thought, oh, classy as hell. This must be European, but US. Not only in the US, but in Texas. And not having a go at Texas, but Texas is famous for, you know... Uh, Oil and 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 ranches and and uh, horse big, riding big and, and kind of you know, big cars big and attitudes. big bold brash not kind of the Steve Ray Vaughan but yeah the music, the the subtle stylings of a kind of a uh, a nineteen sixties micro brand you've never heard of that just is it's classy when you look at it isn't it yeah it's got three dials it's got the uh, the blue dial which quite frankly. Uh, it's not rock my world at the moment, but then it's got the the black dial with, you know, everything white, which was the first one I thought. Listen, you get that; it's idiot proof. It's always going to look good. Mm. But the one that's actually 
got its hooks in me is the guilt one. Oh, yes. So yeah. it's the essentially black dial with uh, gold-ish hands. Mm. And it's, it's fancy enough to be kind of a little bit special because what's written on the dial is now in gold and... It's very minimal too. The yeah. dial inscription is the antithesis of the Tudor. Uh, not to cast aspersions, Tudor Pelagos is one of my wants in the list of the long list of expensive things. Uh, but they're running an essay on their yeah, dials. Yeah, they're four or five lines now. It's absurd. Look at this uh, one. It just like, has a depth rating. Boom, that's it. 200 metres. Yeah, automatic. And, and I, I like their logo, that Chevron, or Chev- series like a Sergeant Chevron. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're quite tasty. And the arrow, the um, arrow hour hand, uh, very easily discernible from the minute hand as well, so it's good for diving. Mm. Um, and a, a very narrow bezel, much like the Omega 300s, the mm. original ones. That's very nice. But the uh, the hands in this gilt version, the the second hand is gold, and the as in the second's hand, but the vast majority of the hand is actually just white. So it's kind of just a it's a subtle play. It's it's kind of bling, but restrained mm. which quite frankly i didn't necessarily expect from a, a texas micro brand particularly when i did some research on them and it turns out that they're not watchmakers they're not engineers they're not jewelers they're actually teachers yeah now neil and i are ex-teachers and so but the guys who make laurier are you know husband and wife team both teachers decided to do this on the side and um you know if you're in the states you'd pick it up for 300 90 bucks uh, if you're an Australian because you know conversion basically you're talking say 550 bucks which that's still extraordinarily is a fantastic yeah. price it's got a Seiko NH inside it which is just you know, sold as a rock mm. so yeah I'm just really really surprised and delighted that two like a married couple um, teachers cool. just decide to lean over and say yeah let's have a crack at it following a passion and uh Good luck to them. I hope they do really well out of that. And, mm. and yeah, the the teaching roots that we can identify with, um, yeah, they're they're like a phoenix emerging. Uh, anyway, yeah, we won't, <laughs> we, we won't get into those. Also, I, I like their their uh, advertisements, or as the Americans say, advertisements. Ooh. Um, very kind of nineteen nineteen fifty seven and nineteen sixty seven, kind of that quirky, playful, little mm. bit naive ads where they've got you know a, a a scuba diver cartoon in black and white and and the watch on it and you just look at them and say oh that's been ripped out of a national geographic from 1962 yeah, yeah. but actually it's not you know there um they could lead to uh, a discussion as to uh, it's not something i enjoy discussing uh, discussing but how do, does this vintage movement in watches, if you'll forgive the expression, uh, have legs? Is, is it going to keep going fashionably? Uh, I guess amongst the um, the small, relatively small watch community. I mean, <coughs> another brand that we could talk about that does have that classical styling, which we're talking about in a different context, is Monta. Uh, another brand based in America, North America, uh, 
but very much with Swiss roots. I think they're yeah, they're branding them yeah, as well. Kind of to, to answer the question, I think I think the the vintage thing at the moment is is incredibly hot. That mm. whole uh, either making a micro brand that looks vintage or uh, doing a reissue like the um. Uh, what, what's the one that's knocked everyone sideways? You know, the Longines, they're kind of their, um, their diver, their legend diver looks oh, fantastic. Diver, yeah. um, what's that other one that's been doing the rounds? The, the DH, the Satina DH um, oh, yeah. is, uh, DS is a, a phantom, whatever it's called. It's a, mm. it's a beautiful watch. Um, I, think, I think it's going to go on and on and on. It's a little bit like... Well, they're, they're, you know, they're making them for a small community. Each, mm. each run is 300, mm. and each run will sell out, and there might be another 200 people that, oh, damn, missed it. They'll get in on the next one. And you, so you might have 500 to 1,000 people world, mm. worldwide that are really clued in. I, I reckon it's not... I, I don't think it's fashion. I think it's actually based on style. I think mm. they've had a look at it and say, all right, it's 2018... But we, our company, designed something in 1964, which is extraordinary. Mm. I mean, my favourite Ford of all time, and I'm not a massive fan of uh, Ford. Like, I like them, but they don't rock my boat. But they made the the GT40 is one of the greatest supercars ever made. It's I astounding. heard the other day what the 40 stands for. Have you yeah. heard? 40 inches 40, high. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So when they remade it, they made the GT44. Ah, oh, okay. But the reason I mention that is because you can have a company which nowadays is making pretty pretty average stuff, an average meaning literally average, yeah, like just normal. But then they look back into their uh, their um, the their past, yeah. yeah, and realize that they've somewhere along the line, maybe in the nineteen sixties, which seemed a really special decade, they knocked it out of the ballpark. Mm. So go back. So I reckon it's less about this is so hot right now, and more about you know what. Let's celebrate some really kick-ass design. Mm-hmm. This is the Jaguar E-Type of watches. Let's get it out there. Yeah. Now, Monta, you, when they first popped up on my radar, I checked them out and I thought, I've never heard of this brand. Are they a micro brand? Are they new? Mm. And then I checked out the prices and oh, I was very, following them. Yeah, it was a bit problematic. They're very expensive and they're... they're Heritage, I believe, is based on the Everest, and they're very good Everest uh, rubber straps that are designed specifically for Rolex watches, and the the Explorer Two. And uh, I I have the had that trouble with an Explorer Two, nearly destroying a very nice collar rev strap, because the the lugs are so tight that uh, you you have to get Rolex designed uh, or specifically. Band specifically designed for that particular watch. Um, so Everest watch rubber straps made pretty, they weren't cheap, but they have a very good reputation. I believe that's what Monta, that company was born from Everest, even though Everest is still around. So they're used to operating in that mid-tier, upper mid-tier echelon of we're going to, we've got a good product, it's very reliable. All the parts we're using are top-notch. It's Swiss-made. We've got the best watchmakers we can afford, uh, and they do look good, but we're going to price them what we perceive them uh, to be worth. Yeah, but, but it's our first watch. Yeah, they're, they're pri- I think 
I think the price was... Close to a mega price. Yeah, and it was a reasonable price for what you got, what it was made out Mm. of, their experience, their heritage, etc. But the problem is, let's be honest, our people who buy watches, we're not using our brain, we're using our heart. Mm. And when I see a watch that I don't know its heritage, it's its first watch and it's the price of an Amiga, I'm like, pull your head in. Yeah, yeah. The only way you'd know it if you had experience from buying a band or a strap for your Rolex. That's mm. the only way you'd really know what they're about. I remember selling my house and the real estate agent told me, okay, you'll get X. And I'm like, I'll pull your head in. I'll get X plus 50 mm-hmm. and put it on the market. And it went nowhere for nine months. So for nine months, I had this thing, you know, dirty great bid sign outside my house saying for sale. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I reduced it to about X plus five. But yeah. I sold the damn thing. And yeah. I think it's the same with Monto. It's like, I don't really care how much you think it's worth. What is the market going to pay? What will the market pay? I know the, the same with rare or expensive guitars. Yeah, sure, it might be worth something, but you've got to wait 10 years to realise the price you want. Mm. So, uh, particularly in smaller markets. And we forget that, you know, Rolex didn't start off as a superstar. It just started off as a brand. They mm. iterated, evolved, changed, developed, and... After a certain amount of time, they hit their stride, and then, in the fullness of time, they knock their prices up because they mm-hmm. kind of could. But Monta have kind of said, "Well, our stuff is as good. We're going to price it accordingly." And mm-hmm. the market mm-hmm. literally laughed at them yeah. and said, "No, you're not." So they they knocked off a solid twenty five, thirty percent. Yeah, yeah, and and now. And they're doing the the hard work of turning up to all the trade shows and red bar events and. Uh, things like that, I think, now. Or they probably did initially. It's very hard to monitor out here in the backwaters. What's, what's uh, Red South Bar? Pacific. It's a, 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 the named after a function held, it could be Red Bar, in New York. Uh, and now they've now syndicated the thing. So they have two head owners that operate the concept. And I think they're licensing, licensing it out or just very approachable in getting the concept out there. It's not a particularly difficult concept, just get guys with good watches in one room with alcohol and peanuts <laughs> and circulate them around a table and oh, yeah, okay, okay. try I'm, I'm, I'm going to right. interrupt you there. Here's the big question. You've, um, you've got the most expensive watch in your collection or yeah. slash the coolest watch the in coolest, your collection. The coolest, I think. You go out, what's the drink you buy? Oh, yes. Because you want to linger, but mm. you don't want to be, be have so many drinks that you drop someone's GMT master from <laughs> 1968. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> the, the glass has popped out. Uh, yeah, that, that would be... Depends on the... If it's an afternoon, you might have an Aperol Spritz. Uh, I, I myself would just go for a, good, a decent single malt, maybe with water. Mm. Just to make it last. <laughs> to make uh, it last and to yeah. make sure you don't drop a GMT. Yeah. yeah. And um, hope that someone has a Tudor North flag or a, it's, a, a ball engineer's watch that I could try on. So it's I can see it's how funny. Like, I think wear. the watch I'm wearing at the moment, it's it's a sporty watch. And it's the type of watch where I'd probably have myself um, a beer. I'm very partial to Kosciuszko Ale, which is like a microbrewery in Australia that's making fantastic beer. Or I get myself a uh, Clure and Coke because it's, you know, it's like a, a Black Russian. Black Russian. But, 
you know, in case you're feeling a little bit soft and can't handle the vodka. Do you have vodka? Do you have vodka in the Well, you, you do, but if you have a chlorine yeah. coke, it's um, it'll put hairs on your chest, but it won't knock the back of your head out. Oh, so that's, sweet, sweet hairs. So, <laughs> so that's a winner. Sweet um, hairs. However, if I was if I was wearing one of my more expensive, classier watches, I think I'd go with something classier. Like if I was wearing my, uh, my. Brisho 1967 Skin Diver, that, um, you'd the, Aqu- the Aqua Guard. I'd wear, I'd, um, I'd have a Drambuie. Yes, yes. No. I, I, see, I wouldn't necessarily take my most expensive watches. I'd take my more rare, interesting, interesting mm. ones. So guys would see that. And let's face it, you're trying to show off to other blokes. Oh, I'll take the ancient one that looks like it's been through the Korean War, and mm. see what they do. talking about um stuff in the watch world that surprises so we started off with the laurier and surprised that they were from you know texas and then went on to monta and surprised that surprised that they didn't realize that you can't charge a premium price unless you have cred and that cred must be seen not just be inside Mm. the watch you actually have everyone has to agree that what you produced is amazing but you mentioned the tudor north flag from my yes. point of view, that's a beautiful watch. And I just assume that, like, because Tudor's on fire at the moment, they're making mm. some great watches. They've got David Beckham being their brand ambassador. I assume, And Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga. So, wow, they're really kind of, you know, um, they, they've got that. Both of those, as brand ambassadors, are, are both very beautiful, attractive, cool, and stylish people when they, they decide it. to dress up. But get new punters in. Too. Yeah, but they're also covered in, in tats and have attitude cities, so they're kind of having a double bite of the cherry. But the Tudor North flag, I assumed, would have knocked it out of the ballpark, yeah. but you said it was a bit of a failure. Yeah, it hasn't... I don't think... It's, it's sort of... might be even two or three years old now. And when it came out, it was... I, I thought it was a radical-looking departure, even though now I've studied a bit more it's sort of like the uh royal oak type uh nautilus type watch case a bit brutalist in its um design but it hasn't set the world on fire it i think it was their pass at doing an explorer type watch but uh it's very much a marmite design in the case it does have uh, a, a power reserve indicator which was a first thing for Tudor to show we were yeah, we were having a chat about that and the the watch ironically is kind of and this is not going to really make sense but just go with me on this on the one hand it's really quite conservative and dull mm-hmm. on the other hand it's really balls in outrageous for, and, for Tudor it was and pretty radical, you just like mentioned it. the um the that dial which sits at the nine o'clock mark yeah it's in yellow it really st- it's the most modern part of the watch when you look when you zoom out it does look like the most it looks modern like an, section yeah. of it and the, the watch itself to my eyes looks like an explorer and it's 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 classy but a little it dulls the wrong word it, mm. minimalist um conservative is probably the right word but it, then it, does, it wouldn't go with too many uh, situations like a suit situation. Yeah, like as soon as you chuck in, I mean, it's got, it it has um, the the seconds hand is 
yellow mm. and it's a bold, fresh yellow. All the indices for every hour are, are subtle and small, but they're yellow. And the um, the indicator for the power reserve is yellow, and that's quite frankly mm. really it's it's pretty bold. It's it's avant garde's probably a little bit. Yeah, I think more. It's that brutalist. Yeah, brutalist approach. Uh, the the Genta style of design mm. that the other um, watches of the seventies that made it squillions of dollars. But this one hasn't. I'd like to say I think it was their first uh, watch with a uh, in house movement in it. Yeah, and yeah. I, it hasn't exactly. <coughs> work the way they'd liked. I, so, I would you, like it to see. Do you know from like a price point of view, because it was in-house, did that did that add a couple of K to it? Or what? I believe it didn't. I think it oh. might have been only five or six hundred more US dollars. Mm. It, I, I think at the time that was, wow, it's not that, ex- it's five or six grand, um, which of course is a lot of money. But in the scheme of things, for a very sturdy sports watch. I think it's... um. I think it's fallen between two stools. It's it's too too radif- radical for your conservative group, mm. and too conservative for your people who are looking for um, something which is a little more aggressive slash sporty. Something yeah. I wear with kind of jeans and a grey t shirt and maybe a like a a wristband or some type of kind of you know leather bracelet thing. And it it's it's a bit of both. Mm. So that either see either... I like it because it reminds me of that Genta design like the uh, ingenue that the IWC put mm. out like uh, yeah like the Nautilus uh, those brutal lines that it had it, it appeals to me but I can really see how it would not appeal to uh, to other people and it would just rub them the wrong way yeah it's I feel as though sometimes when you you do that you either fall between two stools or you get the best of both worlds yeah and it's 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 like some, um, what is it, uh, an American werewolf in London mm. is pretty much generally regard, regarded as the perfect blend between horror and comedy, yeah, comedy yeah. which is insanely hard to do. I mean, you, you get one of the best horror directors in the world, Wes Craven, you know, director of yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. You get one of the best comedy people in the world, uh, Eddie Murphy, chunk them together in a movie called Werewolf in Brooklyn. Um, oh, and it was absolute rubbish. It was pants. It was yeah. it was lost a shed load of cash. It was yeah. rubbish. And you think American Werewolf in London did it perfectly. perfectly. Shaun of the Dead did it perfectly. Yeah. But it's crazy hard to do. So you either, you know, the horror fans, it's not horrifying enough. The comedy people, it's a little bit gross. But if you can get the two, you're laughing. And it's so difficult to capture lightning in the in the, in bottle. the bottle. Yeah. That do, you, you, do you think that's maybe why some brands are going back to that the time in the 70s and 60s where they caught lightning in a bottle? I think so, because it's a time of, even though I think thanks to social media and, and digital platforms, it's easier to, to disseminate to the converted. Mm. Here's what we're doing and here's the new thing. It's, they're not new audiences. Well, they, with the new ambassadors that Tudor have, for example, they might be growing but yeah i think profits were better and of course before the the um the quartz wars um before the demise of so many brands in the 70s and 80s that um the profits of the 60s which that was the 
the profits of the, the sea watches, the, the, the diving watches and skin divers and all those watches associated with... Well, they essentially went from zero. I mean, mm. you, you didn't have waterproof watches and so and then boom and early 50s suddenly you did and then you do yeah and then so so they go from selling <coughs> zero dive watches to selling you know pick a number mm, mm. and you jump back onto some there are so many brands of skin diver that it almost and if you look at the popular popular tv of the time the, the uh, what was that there was a, a show called treasure island no that's a Robert Louis Stevenson, but shows of that ilk and shows set in Florida and there yeah, the swamps yeah, yeah. And, mm. and Flipper and shows like that. The Love Boat. Yeah, everything was nautical. Yeah, Sea uh, Labs type, yeah, of, yeah. type of stuff. So, I mean, you mentioned the the quartz thing. Mm. And again, one of the, the extraordinary things about social media, it's just, it's exponentially exploded, not broadcasting, but actually narrowcasting where you can, you can really home into, you know, if a quarter of a tenth of a thousandth of 1% of the world loves diver watches, then the Jack Mason diver is going to pop up on my, you know, oh, yeah. in my yeah. Instagram account. And I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, look at that and think, this is a beautifully designed... I, I kind of swore myself that I'd never buy a Jack Mason because it doesn't have heritage. And then... The um, the diver watch pops up. Those and I think very nice. um, okay, I'd buy that. It I'd gives, totally buy that. It gives them the opportunity to really micromanage the, their advertising to yeah. really target their audience, which of course is the whole trouble with um, the Facebook in Congress right now <laughs> <laughs> that they target a bit too specifically, I guess. Uh, so it is a double-edged sword. I look, I look at like someone like you know. Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, I kind of put them together. They're our kind of um, on-the-spectrum type of people. And that's not an insult. That's a These are people who are incredibly tech-savvy, I'd suggest. And the points are on the board. You know, they, you, you work. Use, they, use the left-hand side of their brain. They're successful. And, and they knock it out of the ballpark. But you see in interviews with them that they are not antisocial, but there is a, they're not naturally kind of... Um, human and humane and connected even though they might be doing great things for humanity like bill gates is giving his billions of dollars to solve malaria what a champion mm -hmm. but you see zuckerberg and you think man you're literally a billionaire and you have a bad haircut yeah <laughs> yes it's it's yeah <laughs> and same with same with bill gates and you think what's it's it's almost as though you're gonna have all the money in the world but it doesn't buy his style yeah yeah they don't care or it just, it's not on their radar. It doesn't occur to them. What they're good at, they've, those, they've done. They've, those do what they're good it's at. out there. So I'd be interested what kind of, like, if if Zuckerberg was going to buy a watch, I don't think he's going to buy um, a 1950s Dodane. No. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he's going to have a look at a watch where he's saying, you know what, this no one's heard of this, but I'm, I'm going to buy uh, a yellow Doxa, because quite frankly, it's badass. I think he's going to buy himself... You know, oh, a tag. I, I actually can't imagine. I can imagine Bill Gates with one of those Casio calculator watches. Ah. <laughs> and Mark Zuckerberg, I imagine, with a, a smartphone. Yeah. I actually can't imagine him with a watch. He may wear one. I, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, when I imagine these things, 
he's a non-watch wearer in my mind, but I do see what you're, you're getting at. They'd be very much the, what can it practically do for me? And I don't care, I, because I could afford all of Patek Philippe. Yeah, I, in I, fact, I, he could quite literally buy I, the company. Buy I mean, I mentioned it because, um, yeah, like you, your watch does tend to be an extension of your personality. You look at someone like, um, Warren Buffett. Now he owns a Rolex and it's a gold Rolex and it is the type that Frederick Forsyth owns oh. where you're just like, yep, that's classy. It's it's shiny gold, which is... It's probably a, what a pres- one of those day president yeah. datejusts, yeah. the top of the range that Rolex has, you know, that's not bespoke or as close to bespoke that they do with all the bejeweled stuff. But yeah, the best they could buy, and uh, why did Buffett buy that? Because it retains the most value. <laughs> it's the yeah. best investment. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas any other watch, arguably, you'll either lose money, or if you wanted to get your money, wait twenty years to get it for wait or well, wait ten years for a buyer, which I know from the guitar world. Mm. It might be worth something. And so, and if you know anything about Buffett, he's a, a long view yeah. type of guy. So um, he's worn his... Um, now, as it happens, you're right, he has a, a Rolex Day-Date, and oh, yeah. it's, um, it's a yellow gold yeah. Day-Date, beautiful, and he's worn it for absolute years. In fact, he, he <laughs> leaned out to Rolex and asked about purchasing them, not the, not the watch, the company. But they're a private owner, and they said no. Uh, but... For him to do that, it was less about mergers and acquisitions and more about like respect to say, yeah. you know what, what you're doing, I love your work. And the, you have the best reputation mm. amongst all brands of all things, arguably, but what could be comparable? Rolls-Royce. Mm. But who knows what? who owns Rolls-Royce now or are they reliable? It's more their reputation from the 1930s. Uh, whereas Rolex, I, I can't think off the top of my head a brand that could vie with them for that sort of reliability and, and prestige. Mm. Yeah. Again, talk about stuff that surprises in the um, the watch world. I love uh, what Longines has come up with recently, which is of all the things to put on a dial um, yes. that you could yeah. possibly put on especially when you're Longines so you're kind of you've got great heritage and, and super style and class um, what were you, you tell me a story about something they put on their watches recently yeah the, the latest Baselworld release from the big watch fair in March of each year which as I go deeper into this hobby I find myself being more and more fascinated each year with what each of the big companies is going to release even though if I wanted to buy them, I'd have to wait four or five years or even more to save up enough money to buy those things. Uh, but the latest release that Longines put out, which is the, I think the 1935 or 1938, I'd, I'd have to look up the, the name of the watch is the actual year that it's paying tribute to, is has a very minimal dial, it's a three-hander, it's got uh, all uh, Arabic numerals, 1 through to 12, uh, a very discernible railway track, uh, seconds indicated uh, uh, printing on the dial. But in the centre of a very sparse dial, it's flecked with paint to make it look like patina. 
and I imagine how they do it, they just get a long bit of metal and have it stamped with say 20 dial shapes and they fleck it all with paint and then cut them out. But they might do it by hand, it could be a machine, but it just, it looks very cool and it will give you the wear that a, a watch today with modern day materials, they won't wear the same. Even though you left it the same amount of time, they won't wear that badly. Just the sapphire crystals don't let in as much harmful UV lighting and <laughs> uh, the cases are so secure, they don't let in any humidity probably. We see this uh, in, in everything. I mean, you see it in trucker caps that you can buy oh, yeah, online yeah. that are being kind of, you know, pre-distressed. Yeah. Remember back in the 80s with kind of acid washed jeans, which were literally exactly. acid washed, or you had those jeans which they would, um, they put a four or five pairs of jeans into a um, a dryer and they chuck rocks in there with them and they'd, <laughs> and they'd, they'd rip them apart. Oh, Star Wars, is that the... Yeah, uh, yeah. that's literally yeah. it. Or, you know, we see that a lot with people who buy Converse shoes and the in, first thing they do is kind of, you know, kick them up against the bark of a tree just to say, hey, listen, <laughs> I, you know, I haven't come fresh from the shop. Yeah. But, um, and I, I think when it comes to watches, there is this sense that either something is brilliantly new mm. and it has like the the shock of the new yeah. or it's the opposite it's like you know there is a chance that this was handed to me by my grandfather or my father's father etc and it actually wasn't but we can give you the heritage yeah we which can... is uh, artificial but i kind of get it i mean you're a guitar player you've yeah. you've seen that in the guitar world you, you do see that with fender have made a fortune with selling guitars that even if you were a professional on the road, your sweat would have to consist of some parts acid to get that sort of paint decay. <laughs> uh, the only one I've heard of is uh, Rory Gallagher. His sweat is corrosive apparently, and he's worn the paint off his Fender Strat, but that's the only guy, and he so, gets so many gigs, you could believe it. But now the music his sweat industry is corrupt. What the hell I does think, that mean? Yeah, something in his sweat reacts with the old paint. The new paint pen to use, it wouldn't happen. That is, the old that's hilarious. I, that might be the story of Hulk Hogan. Uh, apparently, used to go into saunas and his sweat would be green oh. from all the oh. steroid abuse. Oh, Spe oh, speaking, oh, speaking of which, um, <laughs> what, what, one of my favourite films of all time is Ridley Scott's original Alien. Oh, yes. um, uh, the recent films he's made, he needs a punch in the throat, but let's move on. But the original Alien, glorious, and, and I love the fact of all the watches they could use in the Alien universe uh, was, surprise, surprise, Seiko. The Seiko, the, designed by De Jaro, the, yeah. the Italian uh, car designer. Mm. When... I was in Turin last year at the Turin Automobile Museum, which is a great place to go to. They've got 10 cars that Dejaro designed on display, and you can walk around them just seeing what he designed, the mm. Golf, mm. the first Golf, uh, just all these iconic things that you just didn't realise he had a hand in. I was looking around for evidence of the watches, because they had all of his sketchbooks I, I thought, ah, oh, they've, they've missed a beat here. They could have had a Seiko in here. But, <coughs> because um, that, that Seiko, it's... Uh, I love... I mean, if, if you might want to Google what it looks like if, if you didn't already know, but basically look up the, the Ripley Seiko, and it's 
kind of a normal-ish looking watch. It looks a little bit futuristic. But mm. then on the right-hand side, it has... It's so you've got a just, say, three matches together yeah, and, and painted them black and just bolted it on the side. And it just looks... Kind of looks as though you could press a button at the top and it might yeah. be a decompression for something, but it just looks... I think it sets off... That is the start and stop of the chronograph, I oh, believe. Okay, I've yeah, never okay. handled I mean, one. That, that would make sense. It, I like it because it's it's a little bit like um, nowadays, I, I, like, I like handguns, not probably in reality, but actually just... From a design point the of design, view, um, yeah. we're living in Australia. We don't have handguns no, unless, no. unless you're a cop or a thug. Um, <laughs> but even the, even the, the thugs don't have many. But um, reason I say that is because there's a, a big kind of thing in America that you can you can buy a gun and then you can have it modified and add oh. all this extra stuff and you can get like a, a military tech spec. Um, the watch looks like that. It looks as though someone's made it and then you bolt it on stuff mm. that is pure unadulterated utility. And then five years later. Everyone's had a look at it and said, and Dijaro, actually, that's kind of cool. It does look organic, though. He he, he has that uh, genius designer knack of that. It looks right. It yeah. works. It it, um, it is an organic extension of... I mean, if you didn't have that rectangular section off to the side, it would be a very ordinary-looking piece. Mm. And I mentioned that because, you know, Alien, of course, it's um, prototype creatures... Uh, don't have acid sweat, but they do have acid, oh, yeah, acid yes. blood. <laughs> yes, and um, and throw you like Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you're finished. Park in a couple of areas. They've, they've done that for the um, uh, the Alien world, mm. but they've also done it for James Bond. Now, obviously, our, our first James Bonds, the, the odd Gruen watch, but then they moved very quickly into the Rolex, and then Rolex did their thing for years, and then and then they moved into somewhat bizarrely Seiko. Oh, so during the... all of Roger Moore's films, oh. he had himself a, a Seiko, and it wasn't until you got into, you know, I think Timothy Dalton mm. and and chuck in, uh, what's his name, Pierce Brosnan, that you actually got into uh, Omega watches. Which is the, to, to bring it back to our uh, royal illusions, I think that's Prince, what's his brother's yeah. name, yeah. the older brother. Yeah, he does, well, he does an Omega. 36 mil Omega um, from that Bond era. Which was given to him by his mum. Oh, right on. So sometimes when it pops up in uh, Instagram, people you know, say, you know, love your watch. And it makes sense because we look at him as royalty and I'm not having a go, but, you know, he, he's bald, so it looks a little bit kind of, you know, prematurely old. Mm. But when push comes to shove, he's pretty, he's an action man. Yeah, like he's yeah. literally in the military. He flies a helicopter and, a, and helicopters are insanely difficult yeah. to fly. And he does some pretty badass stuff. And it's not his, just his brother who's... um. You know, running around with a mm. uh, machine gun, and he's it's and, and he wears that watch, which is watch. which is a throwback to what his mum gave him, but also mm. that sense of, you know, hey, I'm I'm not necessarily going to be wearing a really beautiful uh, Rolex. I'm yeah. going to be wearing a watch which is connected to the military, particularly the navy. Let's not forget that James Bond was a was in the navy. He was mm. a commander in the navy. Yeah, I like it. 
And he's using, I must admire, it's the one watch. We keep seeing photos of him. It's always that Amiga. I, good on him. As someone who collects, I yearn for those days. Yeah, days of yore where I could just get to one watch. But anyway. If you were going to lean, okay, if you were leaning towards one watch now, either A, in your, correct, in your collection, or B, a grail watch, what would you go for? Uh, this is... This is a question uh, I have asked myself. I, it's, it's a watch I own. It's, it, it's not the most logical choice. It's probably the Rolex Explorer, my 2007, 2004 Rolex Explorer, the 114270, I think it is. Um, and I would use my smartphone to look at the date. Uh, because the Explorer doesn't have a date, but it's just, you know, I just feel so secure in wearing it. Uh, it's, I, I just feel it's reliability. It's hard to define. Um, when I bought it, I was nervous about buying a watch without a date. And as I use it, use the date at work. Uh, and I, I wear it when I'm not at work because my work, I would destroy the watch. Well, it probably wouldn't, but I'd put excessive wear onto it. Um, but it's, I travel with my Explorer 1 even though I own an Explorer 2 because the Explorer 1 is just so easy to set when you change time zones. And, um, and two, it's sort of the, the, the Rolex you have when you're flying under the radar. If you, go, if you travel to sketchy places, not that I do, but I've been in sketchy situations in places where <laughs> I was glad I wasn't wearing my Explorer 2. Um, it's yeah just some risky situations but my Explorer 1 that didn't sort of occur to me so yeah just the the short answer Rolex Explorer 1 how about yourself what would be your well I'm going to be embarrassing because when I pronounce this I'm going to get it wrong but just go with me on this one so the uh, Dubois et Fils uh, DBF 00107 um yeah, it's got, it just popped up on my Instagram, and it's a watch. <laughs> now, once, this has it all. Is it? Well, this this watch does have it all. So it's about thirteen grand. It's it's I think it's incredibly, it's beautiful. It's one of the only watches where the bracelet. I think I'm I'm actually in love with the bracelet as much as the actual dial. Normally, I, I put everything on leather. But yeah, um, this, this bracelet is absolutely glorious. It's kind it's of a mesh. Yeah, it's kind of a mesh. Very large. Kind of you know, squarish beads of rice, hard mm. to explain. You kind of have to look it up. But um, uh, the company itself, I'd never actually heard of, but they are Switzerland's oldest watchmaker. And they were uh, rejuvenated by some you know, millionaire entrepreneur who came in, um, had a look at their um, brand heritage and legacy and um, acquired that and then just... So were they, they didn't do well from the quartz crisis? Yeah, I, I, let's be honest, everything got... Oh, you know, Seiko, love them, but they did rather uh, open the Pandora's box to crucify yeah, a whole bunch yeah. of brands. Uh, and then you get the smartphone phenomenon and computers, mm. and before you know it, you don't technically need a watch. But they've leveraged that and gone into the world of luxury and mm. then said, all right, let's make a watch that's um, glorious and practical, but at the same time impractical. This particular one, uh, it's a limited edition. It's 41 and a half mils wide. It's... It's, it's chronograph because I seem to 
only like chronographs. Mm-hmm. It has underneath the twelve. It has the the date, and it is particularly big. The big date. It's kind yeah. of a and let's call it an oval. It's an oval if you kind of squash it from the side. So not quite a rectangle, not quite an oval, but it's um, it, it's subtle, but all it's um, like the seconds hand and all the, the hands on the three, you know, internal dials are red. Mm. And it's just, it's bold and badass and I like it. And also it's about 12 and a half grand more than mm. I'd like to spend on watching <laughs> at, at the moment. Oh, one day. You know, on the pre-owned market, you, you just never know. Uh, what what will crop up on Instagram? That this leads to something interesting. There's a lot of, and I've done it myself. I've bought an Amiga Chronostop on Instagram uh, on the strength of picture, and a lot more users are putting prices directly into their description, and then the little shopping bag icon to click on. This is oh, an amazing that. thing. Yeah, that the product is coming direct to you in, into your phone. And I'm going to be pretty broke for a long time, I think. Uh, is this a good thing or uh, is it catering to whim too much or uh, I don't know? Well, <coughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends which side, of the, That's which business. side, which side you're on. Yeah. You know? It's a little bit like, um, well, at the end of the day, it's, it's like cigarettes are morally questionable because mm. they literally have an addictive substance. Yeah. But yet again... So does McDonald's, because yes. we all know, you know, sugar is essentially like, you know, sweet crack. Sweet nicotine, yeah. So, you know, the fact that they've made them uh, super accessible, easily purchasable, ah, uh, I can live with that. And mm. at the end of the day, I don't need to buy it. I'm a human being with, um, you know, with a little bit of self-discipline. Yes, yes, it's good to have a list of wants that are not fulfilled. <laughs> the desire always being just outside, outside of what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, I'm sure it's a whim thing. And, and when people buy stuff on whim, that is stupid stuff. I remember the story of um, um, Versace made a watch and they ended up selling it for $74,000. Oh. And the inside, you would assume, okay, well, that, that's, that's, that's got to be a Rolex or, yeah. or at least a Tudor or at least some kind of you know, long jeans or blancpain or something like that. Very good movement. Yeah. But for their $52,000 watch, sorry, their $74,000 watch, the inside was a Timex. <laughs> it's just, it's just and more. It, it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm sure it looks great. And when people see it's kind of cutting edge avant-garde fashion and it's probably got diamonds on it and it's cool as hell. But at the end of the day, you've got a, a $50 watch. You've you're kidding me. Yeah, and I guess you, your average Versace buyer, not to discredit them at all, would not care. No. It would be, the brand's there, I'm sold. Yeah. Take my money. Uh, and, yeah, watchmakers, at least the watchmakers I go to, I've been told with, uh, with the Timex movement that was in an East German watch, throw the watch away. Timex movements aren't worth the parts to, to repair. You're paying three or four times the price to repair them. Do you like the watch that much? And I had to confess it cost me $50 and it would have cost me $200 to fix. I threw the... I didn't throw it away. I sold it for parts. For some other... <laughs> some other eBay sucker. Sucker. Uh, yeah. So you've... Um, you're, you're exploiting people, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. In the same way, in the same sharing <coughs> manner that I was exploited initially. But, you know... 
it's a it's a bitter old world. <laughs> now, <laughs> as in, so you were in East Germany, or you you have a watchmaker who's East German? When as I'm probably not alone. I when I first got into the hobby, uh, maybe four years ago, I went through. I bought about twenty very cheap vintage watches online. Vintage sort of. Um, watches for parts and things a couple of seikos which i took apart myself um, and got them back together in various states of working and then not working um, and a couple of east german watches bulgarian watches apparently as well i didn't know that until i got rid of them um, <laughs> I, I had a mate of mine who bought a um it bought a German watch, and it, in fact, I feel a little bit guilty because I encouraged him to, to buy it. But long story short, great watch. Um, it was it was used in the army, oh. but he, he gets the watch, turns up, opens it up. It's from eBay. It has a SWAT sticker on it. Oh, right, yes. And he's yes. like, you've got to be kidding. So he jumps back on the original ad, and if you expand the watch as far as you possibly can, they had basically erased... Or put a white, you know, dot oh, over no, the spot. Yeah, so, and it's like, he's like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't wear that. I literally can't wear that. Even to the point where he refused to even kind of, you know, take the band off and just have the watch itself and like leave in the glove box of his yeah. car. He's like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. So, boom, straight in the bin. Uh, All bets yeah. are off. And I thought, and he was, he was ticked off. The, the only cool time I, I got <laughs> some that made in CCC. CCCP or mm. the USSR, they're they're cool, and they're very they're very brutal. They work. They'll keep working through the nuclear war that we're going to have. Uh, they'll keep ticking. <laughs> so they're good. What what, what uh, kind of brand? Uh, they're Was it the um, Vostoks. Vostok. Think, yeah. You know Vostok's been to space. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I did. So, yeah how I mean, how bizarre? Because in my world, you know those Vostok um, divers are kind of. You're, you're able to get, probably in American money, you're able to get one for basically 60 bucks. Yeah, they're and they're cheap. essentially, they're, they're a diver and totally just rock solid. Yeah, they work. Uh, there's a big, there's a cult community for them. Oh, yeah, especially mods. And some of them, yeah. quite frankly, are absolutely badass. They look cool. So, if, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hobby you can access. That's why I like it. It's a hobby you can access at any price point, really, and have a lot of fun. Um you can buy your Seiko 5s and you can buy your Seiko SKX, which is a beautiful watch. And for three years, I denied you, them. You bought one of them and for, it's such a, it's not a cliche, but it's such a classic and so normal that for anyone who's into diving, you'd buy one. Yeah. But you bought it and then you told me, oh, it's beautiful in real life. And I've seen photos a thousand times. They I, don't look beautiful. And I didn't they? kind of really believe you. And then we went out for coffee and you showed it to me and I thought... Far out, I'd buy so that. Cool. Right. Yeah. I, I bought it to beat. I bought it to beat up, mm. and I treat it more preciously than more expensive. <laughs> it's just too nice to 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 beat up. I wear it almost like a dress watch. I, I love the thing, and the uh, the bracelet. It's so bendy and stretchy and jangly. It's cool. It's a very strange thing. Speaking of that um, mods community, that's uh, Vostok Amphibia. Dot com. It's a really interesting uh, website because the Amphibia is their kind of their iconic one that tends to get modelled a lot. But they've got an article called "100 Best Vostok Amphibia Mod Watches," oh, wow. and it's 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 literally you know closing the title "100 Watches That Are Based on That Particular Design," and 
I think we're, we're going to have to have show notes. Holy what? So people are going to have a look at this. So I'm going to be having a look at this. What I like is that for some of them, you think not only does the watch look fantastic, but if I was to wear this, no one would know where it's from because many of the what mods actually get rid of the amphibia so that you don't actually you don't know what it, it is. And, for, and even an aficionado would look at it going, that's a cool, mm. what is that? And once you explain it, an aficionado would say, I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> I like the way that works. I can see where you're coming from. Um, I was reading a Houdinki article that said, the funny thing about Seiko is for, for a country, Japan, that's so synonymous with a sense of kind of uniformity and, you know, uh, conformity, they actually make a massive variety of extraordinary watches mm. that is quite mind-blowing. And I think it's the same with uh, Vostoks. You think... Uh, when I think of Russia, I think of um, brutalist architecture. I yeah. think of uniformity, conformity. I think of communism kind of crushing the human spirit and everyone is kind of like, you know, little tin soldiers. But do you look at their watches? Well, the arts are ex- extraordinarily well-funded, though. Uh, yeah. If, if you're there. but Arts, um, propaganda, six oh, yeah, one, half a dozen the other. Get, yeah. But, but yeah, but they actually, you know, they, they smash that stereotype and produce watches that are... Almost, almost kind of like Swatch in the 80s. Just yeah, they are cool. Yeah. Almost cartoonishly out of control yeah. in their creativity. When I think of Seiko... Oh, yes. Um, ...who I just... I happen to love mainly because they were one of my first watches, but also I think they're very, very easily underestimated. When they kick it up a notch and go to Grand Seiko, especially anything with a spring drive, which is just... Um, is my, this the the peak of? Yeah, it's just it's absolutely extraordinary, and you wear that to, you know, Basel World, and you'll have watchmakers, you know, rather impressed. The, the Swiss you. guys, it knocks them out. But but here's the kicker, I always thought they had two brands, Seiko, and Grand Seiko. But it turns out they have three. Their their hyper one is the Credor, and the Credor that'll sell that'll set you back fifty k. That's I mean that, that that's. That's and half, I'm sure it's warranted too. Yeah, that, that's half a Porsche 911. And you just think, you know, you have a, you look at it and it's minimalism taken to the point where you... It's, uh, there's a, a silly but fun quote that says something like, if you can't understand the price of something, it's probably not for you. Yes, yes. And when you have a look at these, I have a look at it thinking, okay, well, the Grand Seiko is so glorious. I wonder what they've done when they kick it up a notch. Mm. And I looked at them and I just thought, that's a really dull watch. It looks like... This is the crew. Yeah, it looks... Yeah. They, look, they are bland when you yeah. first catch a glimpse. And then you start reading through, okay, what are they made of? Mm. Who makes them? How many do they make a year? What's the process? You know, are they hand painted, etc.? So then, once the time you get to the end of that, and you've you've gone in close and realised that it's a very particular eggshell blue that, that flawless, painted on the flawless ceramic dial, yeah, or porcelain porcelain dial. I think, yeah, porcelain is... dial, and you have someone leaning in, literally painting the dial, and the dial has been mm-hmm. uh, created purpose built for that particular one watch, and they're only producing. X amount a year. Mm. I should know how many, but you, it'd be basically around a dozen, yeah, which is oh, it might it might be one a week, absolute max. Yeah, and the the beveling in in the movement and the chamfering of ed- edges and mm. and um, just every conceivable millimeter, mm. nanometer. When, when you look at metal, that, you think, okay, that that under 
a Hermes mm. suit, mm. or that under a Hugo Boss suit, or a Zenga suit, or you know, choose a suit that's um, several you know, several row, several row. Okay, yeah, let's that's a several row suit. You could see this and say that is a that is a beautiful watch, and it'll be beautiful in. 2018 mm. and 2080. Yeah, that that, that the, the overused descriptor of timeless. I mm. think, <laughs> and I think you'd you'd want to give it to your son, but you wouldn't give it to him until he was say 35 because you wouldn't get it. Yeah, because yeah. you give it to him at 22, and he's like, "Mate, just give me a tag, give me a yeah. Rolex Submariner. Can I give me something with backbone? Mm. This is dull." But it's not until you say. 35, 36, maybe you're married, a couple of kids, perhaps you've had a few uh, a divorce or a bankruptcy, mm. you've gone through the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that you go, wow, that's not dull, that is simplicity on mm. fire. And also purely for someone of that level, I mean, we buy, the, the SKX is the same brand, I, I buy and spend that money, not as, nowhere near as much money as some of the pieces I have, but purely, it's a personal pleasure in it. And I have watches that are more expensive, but I, I have that. And it's purely just, I know how much it costs, and it doesn't bother me that it's cheaper or more expensive or what have you. Here's the, the same thing. If, if I could spend that money, it's a lot of money. Uh, but it's purely, it's on a personal level. It's, it's going to give me a satisfaction, I think, which... Uh, and other people don't, and specifically with the creed, or it doesn't strike people looking at it quickly. That oh, oh, that's a the the white of the dial might strike people immediately of the eye, but it's really an aficionado's watch, mm. uh, a connoisseur's watch. Like when people talk about um, you know an actor's actor or a comedian's uh, yeah. comedian. Often, the, for me, a comedian's comedian is someone who's not very funny. Because, you know, you hear these comedians say, oh, in the industry, this man, you know, this, this person's the man. But you have a listen to them and you're like, okay, well, mentally I can accede to the fact that you're witty and brilliant, but I don't actually laugh that much. Yeah. But then you hear a comedian talk about them and they talk about how they've constructed the joke and the internal mechanics that you were never aware of. And you take a step back. Like, it's, I, I, I still have a literature boy crush on William Golding. I mean, oh, yeah. if you read, if you read the first paragraph of um, uh, Pincher Martin or the first mm. chapter of The Spire, he's an absolute genius. Mm. In fact, uh, Tom Wolfe, uh, who in fact died this uh, week, week yeah. um, at the age of eighty-eight. But if you read some of his works, and quite frankly, I think his journalism's better than his novels. Yeah, but if you read. read uh... The right stuff. The right stuff, yeah. But you start to read some of his journalism and he's so over and above and outrageous in his boldness, but it's not just it's vivid and graphic and accurate and realistic. Mm. It's virtuoso. And unless you get it, you don't get it. It's a confident voice. Yeah. But uh, also, yeah, the audience is hard to find for that sort of... Yeah, a bit like, um, you know, like kind of... I'm not, I don't know much about this, but heavy metal and death metal, apparently a lot of them are brilliant musicians and they're doing incredibly sophisticated stuff. It's, but to me, uh, it sounds atonal. Yeah, and uh, there's, it's, they're not setting the world on fire with income either. 
that's mm. they're, they're writing they're here, they're playing for a very small audience in the scheme of things. And even if they achieve a fame, it might be only in, say, the guitar community, and then, mm. then it's a small fragment of them. And mm. I, I have respect for them, but I'm not going to buy anything they do mm. and probably not go see a show. Oh, maybe, you know, if I was, when I was younger, I did. But yeah, now uh, I choose to spend my money elsewhere. So they're extraordinarily talented, but yeah, it's not that lucrative, is it? I, I remember being, I was about 22, Danny, a, a gorgeous girl who was a big fan of jazz. We went to a place in Sydney called The Marble Bar, oh, which was underneath one of yeah. the, the Hiltons. And it might even still be there, but um, as yeah. the name would suggest, really classy. And we're listening to jazz. And in my mind at the time, as a, you know, a naive 22-year-old, I was thinking kind of, um, I was thinking jazz classics, a bit of swing, a bit of funk, a bit of kind of Frank Sinatra. But this was a little bit like John Coltrane oh, you know, on steroids. And it was improvised and it was very trad. And yeah, quite frankly, I hated it. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get it. And also it made me agitated because it was like... And it seemed out of control yeah. and and because she was a musician she kind of well basically she got it she could see what they were doing and and because i didn't enjoy the superficial first layer mm. of does it sound good um i didn't write my world but in recent years i'm now 42 i've listened to a song or two and i'm like oh okay i see what you're doing you i see you're playing it. with expectations yeah you're you're messing around with this and mm. I, I get it. I appreciate. It. I don't happen to like it, but you know, you're the, not going to feed a five-year-old tiramisu. You, yeah, you yeah. Know. You, you, to everything there comes a season. Mm. Uh, it, I think I'm quoting. Yeah, probably a misuse of the quote, but um, yeah, it's more within its historical context. It, mm. it, it makes it, it makes an historical sense, and but more sense now to a musician. I mean, in the fifties, it was very radical. And so Bebop and those guys were really admired and they were the cool, you know, Miles Davis and guys like that were really, uh, yeah, Miles was wearing, I think, in iconic photographs, he's wearing a Breitling Navitimer, you know, he was really setting, <laughs> setting uh, and wearing Ray-Bans, you know, he was well-dressed, well-kitted out uh, and his music did the same thing, it was very... Uh, it, it set a cultural it set the beat movement and all of that and marijuana usage it was all part of that um, until the 70s came so yeah that's my view on it but I could see how you could go somewhere watching it in the 90s would that be when yeah that, that, I guess that would have been like you know 96, yeah, 97 where it become the rarefied it's like port the fortified mm. drink not, yeah, to, just not to everyone's taste, but yeah, I know mm. it's alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, that's what I had. You know, it's like you know, like blue vein cheese. You just don't get it until you get it. It's and I, I found that with world. the Seiko Credor, that it's just like, I don't get it. I don't see the. Po- oh, oh, I see. Yeah. I get it. Maybe I haven't reached that age yet. Uh, yeah. It could be a sixty-year-old. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the thing is, I appreciate it. I mean, ignoring the price, it's fifty-two grand. But I wouldn't buy one now because mm. not. 
it's an old man's watch. It's kind of like the you know the kung fu master in the movies who doesn't do much kung fu because they're like, <laughs> they've transcended it. Yes. They're above it. But you just everyone in the dojo knows that yeah. they'd snap you in half. Exactly. It's like that. It's you know you'd be uh, uh, salt and pepper hair. You'd have a, a really nice but kind of understated refined Hugo Boss suit, and you'd have this watch just kind of half poking out, yeah. and people look at it and go, "Oh, I would have thought he would have, you know, gone for a." Uh, a more expensive watch because they don't yeah. know what it is, but they yeah. get a, a hint that, gosh, that's refined and yeah. simple. Why? Yeah. Oh, simple. Oh, that's interesting. And as we always say here on Man of the World, the watch maketh the man. Well, I mean, you know, well, who said, well, that's uh, Shakespeare said, clothes maketh man or yes. clothes maketh the man. Kind of a problem with because I thought it's deeply superficial. Mm. But let's be honest, he's. He's right. The fact is, if I put on a suit in the morning, I feel better. And I know about this because I'm a freelance writer. So I frequently work in pajamas or tracky dacks or just jeans and a t-shirt. Mm. And when I have a meeting in the city, uh, say, let's say once a week, I suit up. And quite mm. frankly, I move differently. Yeah, yeah. While my chin's slightly higher, yeah. I kind of walk with a bit of a kind of a swagger and a, a pep in my step. Yeah. And I and it's. Oh, I don't care if it's psychosomatic, but the fact is no, I move with the sense of I'm purposeful, I've got stuff to do, I'm the man, get out of my way. Yeah. But if I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt, I'm all, I'm yeah, cruising and chilled. You yeah. do, you And do. I think, you know, moment, I went out to a, a thing the other night, a big charity event, kind of got to meet the Premier of New South Wales and a few oh. other heavy hitters. And I ended up wearing... Is she shorter or taller than she comes across? She's, on the, she's shorter, oh. but she's... um. She's, I'm always curious. She's she's interesting because um I was I was expecting the speech to be typical political speak, but she was very sincere and genuine in it. Oh. And I think it's because she's Armenian, and both her parents came from Armenia after the Turkish uh, genocide. And so when she moved to Australia, her parents didn't know each other. They met in Australia, got together. So she has a sense that Australia is a haven. Right. It is inherently welcoming. It's hospitable. And she also didn't speak English, and she grew up in a, in a home where they spoke a different language. Right. So she's kind of had to claw her way up uh, from being disadvantaged but incredibly grateful. Right. And now she's literally the most powerful woman in New mm. South Wales. So th- this is uh, Gladys Berejiklian we're mm. talking about, if, if you're a, a, an international listener. But yeah, yeah. E- extraordinary speech. And then... Um, and then a few other people kind of, uh, you know, had a crack at the title. In fact, mm. a, a former uh, Australian Prime Minister, John Howard, oh. um, spoke for... He kind of gave the stump speech in order to get people to donate money mm. for this worthy cause. But I was wearing I was wearing a suit. Right. I was all kind of um, suited and booted. Suited and I ended up wearing my fossil watch, which probably doesn't sound particularly oh. impressive, but it's... It an, does look good. It's, it's a beautifully looking yeah. watch. And I found recently, I think, <laughs> the watch design the homage is probably a strong word they stole uh-huh. uh, and it's like some 1952 brand you've never heard of but um it's a beautiful watch it's it's um white and uh very shiny silver almost platinum um uh, roman numerals very, nice. very beautiful watch sword hands it's it's absolutely fantastic if it didn't have the word fossil on it you'd assume yeah. it's a, a seven thousand dollar watch but i wore that um, under the suit, and I thought, well, I can't wear anything else because this it, this must be a dress watch. I, I can't yeah, stuff around with a skin diver or a, a Seiko or 
um, anything else in my collection. That's just not gonna. It's not gonna cut it. Uh, it could be time to invest in uh, what's the brand we we're looking at? Baltic watches. Their three-handed watches look very. Mm. They, they straddle that area of not not an ad for them as I don't own one yet. Uh, they look to straddle that line between dress and sports watch with that nautical feel. I mean, they remind me of those the Seamasters from the fifties, the Amiga Seamasters. Of the, mm. they, they've got a nice they've got a Panda watch, and I I tend to love Panda watches. Probably, I'm a yeah. huge fan of the. Um, Oh, what's it called? Is it ADSA? ADSA. Uh, ADSA. Oh, it's a it's an old school brand. I should yeah. look it up for you. But Panda watches make me happy. You see uh, a lot of the old uh, Hoyas, the uh, Octavias. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well. I think the one that started was was the Breitling Top Time. Yeah, they, yeah, that's they're, they're that's nice. golden. But they're, um, they're reasonably affordable too. In the oh. in the vintage game, they will not set you back that far hmm. because they're not because. Brightling owners want Navitimers. Yeah. That's pretty much what they're known for. It's almost like Audemars Piguet. It's, it's the, uh, what's their thing? Royal Oak. Royal Oak. Yeah. That's everything. all they do. Yeah. It's a little, it, it, it's funny. It doesn't just happen in the watch world. You know, like a Range Rover mm. used to just be one version of one of the cars they make. So the company is Rover. And they make oh, a whole bunch yeah. of Rovers. And one of them was just, well, the Range Rover because it can... Range the, and all the, sorts the of the Rover is their road version. Yeah, and they, and they they just did so well that basically the rest of the company just shriveled on the vine and oh, they pumped all their money into that. And well done, they've made a fortune. Mm. But um, yeah, the reason I mention that is because the Baltic does a Panda watch and it's nice. Yeah. But the the one I was really focusing on is um, doesn't have the two dials in the center. Mm-hmm. It's more clean and clear. In fact, it looks very simple. But then right on the uh, outskirts of the the, the in, seconds track. Yeah, yeah, internal bezel. You've got this. Um, yeah. Oh, it's just a, it's like a railroad railroad. Yeah, it track. is literally like a railroad yeah. track. Yeah. It's very nice. The it's. Um, I, I don't know if it has a date on it, but they're how just much are they? beautiful. I think the price is in euro because they're based in Scandinavia somewhere. I think. Uh, I think it's three hundred euro. Uh, which is for an automatic watch what a that's a great price and they're getting a they're getting credibility around the traps they're going to the trade shows they're going to worn and wound shows in in uh, San Francisco and New York and red bar events and things like that they're gaining a reputation for standing by their product using good parts good materials standing by the product being easy to contact friendly to deal with uh, eager to help to, just to go that extra mile and also produce something that you can take to your local watchmaker and get serviced mm. easily and relatively cheaply. Did, and, you, did you say they were, they were Swedish? I, they could be or Finnish or something around the Baltic. That, mm. Yeah, I just have a memory of that. It was somewhere that surprised me that I didn't realise. Or they might be French, this is embarrassing. Um, the factory might show notes, show notes. Yeah, yeah we'll show, the notes. Fr- show notes. It's <laughs> embarrassing. We, we we pretend that we know far more than we actually do uh, on our show, but we do know sartorial um, accoutrement. So, and that's the aim of the game. Uh, but yeah, Baltic, check them out. They're chron- I think they're just doing two types: a chronograph and a three-hander watch. But 
they've for each type they've got three or four different colors dial colors and gilded indicators and um, just white uh, indices so um, bound to find something you like I, it's and they're just gaining a reputation in the small micro brand community and because there are micro brands that go the kickstarter direction you know there are some that have fallen through and I, I think you might get your money back, but some Kickstarter brands, I mean, there are many that have done so well. There's some that fall through. So it's a world where you want to know. Their so what's, what's the deal there? Do they give you your money back? I've, I've heard stories where it's fallen through and, you know, three years later, they've still got the money and, oh, no, we're still, it's in production. I, I can't nah. I name names, but it doesn't happen that often. I've had... Reese, I've backed two startup ones, and um, it's gone. The first one was a bit of a risk. It's, it paid out. Uh, Reverie watches based in the Philippines. That was good. It's a good watch, and they used a good movement. It's a good Miata movement, so that worked well. And they've that was one of their initial offerings, and now they've once they've got the backing of their initial offering, once they've done one, they it's. A safe bet, I like to think. Mm. Um, and you can go cheaply and um, get into other sort of brands. But it's a, it's a strange thing because you've got uh, another brand, which now escapes me, had to go to Kickstarter to basically kick off one oh, of their... Yeah, yeah, talking no, about it wasn't. It was, it's, I think it's Ball Watches made a new watch and it's something to do with it's a cross between, you know... An analog watch but also it has some kind of technical capabilities to do stuff on top of mountains like get yeah. gps signals and they went to, to kickstarter to to fund that and in part of their video they're talking about why would such an established company need to go to kickstarter oh, but basically right, yeah. they said our entire company started back in the day with us getting funding from the people around us and yeah. this is just an extension of that i guess the initial railroad they needed the railroad company backing to, mm. to get their Yes, they. I think they won the contract, but needed to. Yeah, I can't remember. I'd have to look into it again. again I'm talking out of my hat. <laughs> again, in post, all <laughs> fixed. Fixed. and if you're listening to this, you've done something wrong. Man of the world uh, at gmail.com.au. If you'd like to email us with questions, for those that have emailed us with questions already, we've we've been a bit swamped. We're trying to read through. No, I'm lying. I thought I'd try that trick. I couldn't carry it off. Send us a question. We'd, be, we'd like to answer it and ramble around it. Like, like your question might be, um, what do you think is the, the best watch currently being made in Sweden? Uh, to oh. which I would say, well, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a Sue Sandstrom. Oh, uh, I've heard these Yeah, guys. yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Um, they, well, let's be honest, reading from their uh, website, they offer a timeless expression of Swedish twist of elegance. So, yeah. uh, listen, you can ask us any question. You can ask um, questions such as, you know, are you a brunette? Yes. Are you five foot nine and a half? Yes. Uh, do you have a, a, a man crush on Thomas Edison? Yes. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, it, questions can be broad. They could be narrow. It just depends on what you uh, want to get out there. In fact... If you do run a microbrand and you're in an unusual place, like, you know, Sweden or uh, Bulgaria or Peru, uh, feel free to kind of write to us and to say, hey, this is our work. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe 
don't give us a, a shout out or an advertisement, but we'll check us out and see if yeah. uh, see if it resonates with you. We'll, we'll talk. We'll discuss the logic of these things. We mentioned we're talking Loria, Monta, Tudor Longines, uh, Seiko, Timex, Credor, uh, Dubois et Fils, uh, Amiga, Dubois et Fils, and don't cut me off, you're killing me here, etc. Uh, <laughs> etc. Et so, um, like a real kind of smorgasbord, we seem to have mentioned the word microbrand a stack of times. We're not necessarily uh, obsessed or enamored with microbrands, but they they just they're doing some really interesting stuff. And I find that kind of uh, pretty exciting uh, and, I don't know, just kind of adventurous and bold. And that's that's really, I think, what men of the 22nd century uh, need to be. Adventurous and bold. Adventurous and bold. So let's leave it there. Uh, shout out to our uh, sponsors, uh, Fender Guitars and uh, the Philippa Harding uh, Piano Company.